Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Welcome to another show of Around the Coin. On this episode, I interviewed Hussein Azari, the PhD, MBA, CEO, founder of Seymour. Previously, Hussein started Clarity Money, which was sold for $100 million to Goldman Sachs in 2018. And then in 2018, he started Seymour to help connect our financial selves to the blockchain world. Uh, Hussein is an incredibly smart guy. He worked at Google after he did his PhD at Harvard and his letters, his, his published works are incredibly technical and way over my head. Uh, but I did attempt to read them on his website, azari.io. Uh, we have a really good conversation. We talked about uh, what he's doing at Seymour, of course, and we also talked about the evolution of money and banking. Uh, one of the smartest people I've ever had the chance to interview. So I hope you enjoy the show as much as I did. This show today is sponsored by Otter Labs, O-T-T-E-R, Otter. Otter is the fastest, easiest place to find and hire developers. So if you're looking for engineers, software engineers for your startup, uh, reach out to hireotter.com, the folks at Otter. It's a great place to find remote teams. So if you're building a remote team, uh, their developers are located primarily in South America and Argentina. Uh, so reach out to Otter. And with that, I hope you enjoy the conversation. All right. Great. We are live. And we are doing an audio-only show. Hussein Azari is our guest today, the CEO founder of Seymour Q or Seymour. Hussein, welcome to Round the Coin. Brad, really excited to dive in with you. And thank you very much, uh, and thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Um, we connected a little bit pre-show, but can you give me a little background on the name of the company, Seymour or Seymour Q? How do you say the company name? Well, I mean, I would uh, say it the bird's actual name, which it's where it's coming from. It's a mythical bird uh, that's Seymour. Uh, and uh, it represents wisdom. Um, yeah. So, but as for the kind, uh, the product and our, our retail uh, side specifically, uh, it is just simply see more, mm-hmm. like see more DeFi, see more data, see more blockchain. So, um, and the the origin of the myth, the bird. Uh, or birds is that there are like a number of birds were trying to figure out who is the king and they're told that you need to travel to a lake to uh, see the king uh, the king resides there and the name is Seymour and they travel there a lot of them kind of give up but only 30 of them gets there and uh, they they don't find any bird there they realize um it's them the ones that who uh, took the long journey and traveled and learned uh, through the journey so and that represents seymour which literally means 30 birds oh really in what language this is in persian c is 30 more is bird oh interesting and did you did was there a history behind coming up with this story was this a story that inspired you when you were younger or when did you hear about it yeah, it's a very powerful story. I think it is 
uh, one of those uh, stories that you know you find in the uh, maybe Eastern culture that really focuses on learning and the journey uh, rather than you know focusing on a goal per se, and it really applies, I think, with many of the efforts uh, you do and. Uh, it is part of the literature. You, you kind of you get a lot of exposure to these stories, so you kind of find them very relevant. And uh, I think a closest, probably Western uh, analogy to it is Phoenix. Mm. Uh, and just imagine how how many times or how much you know about Phoenix, right? Growing up, mm. uh, just uh, learning about uh, uh, the uh, the stories, the tales. Yeah. Um, so. I love it. Yeah. I remember uh, I went to Burning Man in 2018 and I stood on top of a, a, a unbelievably beautiful Phoenix wooden sculpture that was just, it was just hard to wrap my mind around how much work and artistic talent went into this thing. And then, you know, out there they just burn it. So that night it was a giant inferno. So was, yeah, there's some definitely some deep lessons there. Um, I love it. And where did you spend your younger years? Yeah, and inspiring, right? Yeah. Uh, Hussain, Hussain, where did you spend your younger years? Where did you grow up? I grew up in a city in north uh, west of Iran called Tabriz. It's a kind of very cold and uh, mountains. Um, um, and then I studied more undergrad in Tehran, which is the capital of Iran. Most of people have heard about that one. Um and uh, when I was 22, I just uh, I came to U.S. I started at Harvard, and uh, uh, I have spent probably yeah a long time in U.S. versus like probably any other place than where I grew up. Um, uh, and uh, it was a it was a cool experience so far. Yeah, that sounded like a pretty pivotal moment. Was there uh, a story or was it, I couldn't have been easy to move from Tehran to Harvard. Was it just hard work and dedication or was there some kind of uh, connection or how, how did you go about making the transition? Yeah, that's, uh, it's very, it's pretty competitive. Uh, I, probably there are a couple of hundred, I think, uh, students uh, who are actually just selected uh, from like hundreds of thousands in in Iran to be in this program and this university called Sharif University and um, most of the students there end up applying and going abroad and a uh, few of those end up in uh, places like Harvard MIT Stanford uh, so it is pretty tough competition to kind of uh, uh, be able to um, uh, get the admissions. I mean, that's only the you know academic part of it, but there are also other <laughs> uh, tough things to go through, like getting the visa and waiting for like administrative clearances and stuff. Uh, they are just the procedures that take time and they're stressful. Uh, uh, but uh, I think all in all, it's a pretty good system that allows uh, people who yeah have some you know ambitions to do yeah stuff to come here and you know get to do what they are uh they aspire to and yeah. so i uh but the experience itself is uh uh pretty good i would say uh, looking back maybe not some of those stressful days waiting for things yeah yeah it's funny one of my one of the smartest people i ever met was the um Dean of Engineering at I went to school at University of Connecticut for mechanical engineering. I graduated in 2010, and he was the dean and my mentor at the time. And he he uh, he was from Tehran, and he just had this mind that I remember as a, y- a young guy. Just I'd hang out with him in his office hours, and the way he would think about problems, particularly three dimensional mechanical problems, he would just like it was almost like he just channeled the answer. He would just know how things worked from so many years of studying and building. And, and I just was blown away. Uh, I remember at the first time meeting him, I was like, this guy 
has a level of intelligence that is just be, way beyond anything I'm I'm at. So that, and it, I mean, you you candidly remind me in many ways of him because you went to Harvard. You did your undergrad at Harvard, uh, focusing on statistics. Is that right? And then from there, you had quite a bit of education going from Harvard. Uh, how many total years did you were you in the college system, academic institution? It was well. I did a master's at Harvard on statistics, and then I did PhD in computer science, and I did business school. I have spent a lot of time in in the schools, uh, but at the same time, I I there is a lot of discussion around you know school versus entrepreneurship or trying to do something. Uh, I don't find them that contradictory. Uh, I think it's just a different approach um, to. Uh, um, if you're focused on something, um, it comes back to help you. Like 2011, for example, at Harvard, I was a TA in this course, uh, which was called Economics and Computation. And uh, we had a session on Bitcoin and we would basically pass around this, you know, the QR code, the paper Bitcoins that the QR code was printed on a piece of paper that you would scratch. So, and that was, I think, 100 Bitcoins. So we would just pass that around in the class. I don't know where is that piece of paper. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wish I forgot it in, in the middle of my, one of my books. But um, so uh, the, we, would, we would discuss Bitcoin. We would, uh, we would I mean, we, it was seen as uh, like a social experiment. I think it still is. Uh, but just to, to the point that back then I didn't know I would be uh, building uh, a, a product for finance on blockchains, and these would grow as big. But um, when you have like in-depth in understanding or kind of work in depth on some relevant topics uh, to the industry, I think they come back to help you. Yeah. Um, obviously, overall, there's there's something about education that I mean, is it really targeted to help people? Uh, that I I honestly don't think so, uh, but I think people could help themselves pretty well with the finding the right type of education that they would need. Yeah, yeah. It also helps when you pick a specialty in crypto in 2013 <laughs> that just happens to explode over the next eight years. Yeah, I was not that lucky. I I, I was mostly studying it from an academic perspective. Mm. Uh, uh, I, uh, the, the first time I, in terms of like getting into crypto was 2015, actually 15, 16. And I think Ethereum got me really engaged because I, I, I've grown up as like, like electrical engineer. I mean, grown up, I, I went to school as electrical engineer, computer scientist. So I understand that the code, the technologies doing something. I, I obviously didn't, uh, like understand finance like back then. Uh, to like see Bitcoin as a store of value or reserve currency, or uh, which even today I, I have some some reservations against that. Uh, but but I could understand that well. You could program these things; these could work. I like all those like colored coins and things that were developing on Bitcoin, and then Ethereum kind of uh, take took those and turned them into something that hey, we could actually sit down and write code and do these things uh, uh, for real. Mm. <laughs> um, that was a kind of a turning point for me uh, uh, to be more like involved in both like, you know, having money involved as well as having uh, following it, going to like conferences, following, you know, Joe Lubins of the world. Mm -hmm. So like the conferences and uh, hearing like how these people think about stuff. And, uh, yeah, 2016, 17, it was, it was super exciting after that. Um, and the last couple of years in the crypto winter, I think, uh, we just took time to, uh, uh, to build and again, dig deeper. Uh, I wish I was, I was, uh, uh, into like, uh, crypto earlier, 2013 or even 2011. Uh, but the funny thing, we, we would show a video actually, uh, in that class. And there was this dude who, 
sold his Bitcoin at $1, I think. And then Bitcoin was at like $3.10. And he was, he was kind of crying. Uh, oh, I sold my Bitcoin for $1 and now it's $3. Yeah. So I wish I meet that guy today to see like how he feels <laughs> yeah, about yeah. it. Yeah. Boy, there's so many stories like that. It feels like I wonder how we are going to look back at this period. You know, it's, it's so easy to say, oh, I wish I was in it in 2013. I wonder in the year 2030 if you're going to look back and just think, God, you were so early, maybe 2030, 2040. Right now, it's still like we're still not that integrated into the global or even domestic financial system. Like your, we were talking pre show, your core thesis is that. Uh, you believe that blockchain is going to become a, a foundational infrastructure behind the everyday use of personal finance, and today it's not. You know, you you can you can find someone to send crypto to, or you can find you can go out of your way. But for most people, I would even guess ninety nine percent of people in the United States, for most of their finance, you know, it's it's just it's just business as usual. Uh, banks, maybe cloud banks, maybe Venmo, PayPal. Um, it doesn't seem to have quite infiltrated everyday people. What's your? Tell me why you believe. What have you seen behind the scenes, or or in the code, or wh- wherever you're kind of gaining your perspective uh, on why you think that's going to be so much sooner than other people might assume or predict? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. And to your to your point, you know, there's this code that future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. Mm. Uh, so, um, DeFi is already here. What happens on DeFi and the fact that it covers the, you know, current financial system, uh, f- fundamental pieces, right? It takes staking, lending, borrowing, exchange. It is, it is happening and it is showing, uh, you know, volumes and activity that, uh, uh even, I mean, there was news around like how they compete with the centralized exchanges on crypto side. So um, that's one way to think about it. And, and about crypto, the, the earlier point again, uh, it's always too early to get in and too late to get in, right? Mm-hmm. Because just the growth pattern, right? Wherever in the chart you are or like in the growth pattern you're standing, it is too early, but also it's too late because uh, you're comparing with like past and uh, uh, future. And that, uh, that's just going to be a reality. You're right. Uh, and that's one of the kind of uh, points that I try to uh, approach it differently in the narrative when there's a lot of the marketing, say, in the DeFi or getting people on board with crypto relies on FOMO, right? Like, oh, it's too late. You, you Look, you you may be able to FOMO 10 million, 20 million people in, into something. You're not going to FOMO a billion people, mm. right? I mean, the, the, the real value has to kick in. And, uh, and that's the part that, that's the empowerment part, that looking at the future and seeing, oh, it is going to grow uh, and it is going to do a lot of things for, for the consumer. And focusing on that, I think, will pay dividends. So, and that is, that's where I draw my optimism. Um, part of it comes from just working in fintech and trying to build a consumer finance product that to help consumer, including myself, uh, and how it, how it went. Uh, so, um, I have to provide some color maybe. Yeah. Um, I was at Google. I was my, uh, First job after graduate school it was a pretty good job, a research scientist, uh, well paid and doing some uh, interesting stuff. And uh, I just noticed that I I really don't know what do you do with the money that you could save, you could spend, you could invest. Uh, and I started thinking about it. And I saw like you could find all these things here and there about like how what do you, what do you do with your money, but not a real good place that you would trust, just like the Google itself, that was a place that I would trust to go for information, right? So I wrote a proposal and I went around and I tell, told people, well, uh, Google's motto is to organize world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. Why not change that information with capital? 
why not make the world's capital universally accessible and available to everybody? Uh, and uh, build a basically a, a assistant that helps people with the financial decisions, with like understanding their finances better. Um, uh, long story short, I couldn't uh, or didn't make enough progress inside Google. Uh, but building a product for myself, um, uh, I worked on it uh, in Clarity Money as an app that basically was trying to do this. And uh, that was, I think, a pretty good experience in terms of the just learning how much consumer wants that, how much consumer is looking for um, a advocate and it, someone to like basically fight for them. So and, yeah, j- just, yeah. A, just a point of clarity on that. You, for timing, you were at Google for a couple of years and then 2016, you started Clarity Money. And then two years later, you guys sold it for a hundred million to Goldman uh, Goldman Sachs. Yeah, I, 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 right? I probably can't confirm numbers, but the years are correct. Yeah, so it was 2016, 2018, and we got we got a million users uh, or more, uh, and and. That's that growth and just the approach, you know, uh, I think resonating with that growth really showed that consumer wants this. Yeah. So at the same time, 2016 to 2018, what I was doing, I also were kind of going and taking any course to the earlier point about the academic aspect. I was doing this like over the weekends MBA and taking every and any course on banking, literally like. Anything I could, like we were going through Dot Frank, <laughs> we were going through like because I to start I didn't really know much, but also there's just so much more, you mm-hmm. know. Even if you worked in finance, you just know one part of it. But kind of trying to understand what's going on, what when they say like regulatory problems, what is that? When they say there's like legacy system, what is that legacy system? Right? Where, where is the legacy system? So um, and and. Putting all those experiences together, uh, I have a kind of uh, clear conclusion. It's very clear to me that uh, building on the rails that already exist, the legacy system, both technically and business-wise, right? Uh, you you have limited innovation. Most of the fintech out there, and there, there's amazing fintech. Kudos to them for building all these amazing products. But at the same time, uh, the options to innovation is just limited to repackaging or being clever with, you know, how to get people to do something financially uh, better for them. And the betterness also is limited by the, just the business models of underliers that you need to go through them. Mm-hmm. So, and it, when you see from that perspective, in order to unlock innovation, you just need to go and say, hey, I want a clean slate. Mm. To build this on a, on a new tech stack. And I want to dream up my business models, mm. you know, relevant to that tech stack. So, uh, and that is where I think really, again, it's very clear to me that blockchain has, a, has the best chance and a strong chance to allow people to build these from scratch, rethinking and building for the today's consumer and futures consumer future mm-hmm. consumer uh, the example that I, we give like a, it's a common discussion in the company is look uh, we have now uh, folks like developers and people that working in the company that they don't know what yahoo messenger is so and and if you think about it like in the tech industry we have gone so, through so many products and product iterations so many social networks different ways of communicating and that all happened in like 20 years. Yeah. Now, we have had this system uh, for like 40, 50 years that we haven't touched. So, or we haven't changed as much. So, if you think about that like the level of innovation that happens in tech and just think about it that if I if I open this infrastructure and let people to be able to build from a cl- clean slate, you're going to see stuff like that. You're going to see really crazy innovation coming in. And guess what? That crazy innovation has to put consumer first. The same way that Amazon won the retail game in internet by putting the consumer first. The same way that 
Google won the, you know, uh, being whatever Google is by like really making it simple for the customer. Um, you have to focus on customer when you're building from clean slate. So it automatically comes in to put consumer first and get the traction and give them what uh, fights for them. So I think putting all those components together, it is really uh, obvious that blockchain first, first blockchain has a really good chance to be the infrastructure. And I don't see any competitor out there uh, really to the blockchain. The second thing is, I think it has actually, uh, it's a strong possibility, not only just a chance, it's a strong possibility because of what's happening, because of the future that's already here, what's happening in between like 50,000, 100,000 people. But when we have it for 10 million, 100 million, they they say like DeFi arrived, Mm. but I think DeFi has arrived Mm. already. We just need to go get more people on it. And it seems to me like when you say build... I, mean, I totally agree with you. I mean, you it's almost this natural process of evolution in a way where we create something, the internet in this case, and then we figure out a way to adapt the payment system, which was just pure cash tender and coins, to a digital infrastructure. And now that becomes the banking rails, the you know checks turn into uh, mobile apps, and then we have the ACH system. And so the, the world kind of adapted from the brick and mortar banking, government, Federal Reserve situation to an online system. And then from there, that becomes kind of stagnant because the government regulates so many parts of it and there's not a huge incentive for innovation and change behind the scenes for some of these larger companies. And so to your point, there's stagnation. The clean slate that you mentioned is is alluding to, the, would you describe, tell me how you would di- differ from this description. So I think of it as the innovation that allows for the clean slate to happen for entrepreneurs is this technique of storing information on ledgers, on databases all over the place. And that is fundamentally possible because the computing power is fast enough and cheap enough to store redundant databases all over the place, which is the blockchain. You know, had had we not made the progress on the hardware level, we couldn't have made it on the higher levels of abstraction, really. And so that it almost seems like it's just going to keep going. Like once the hard the hardware just becomes so, what if it? What if the hardware was just, you know, I don't know what your thoughts are around quantum computers or if that becomes a reality for processing. But even beyond blockchain, if it's you know predicting the next wave beyond where we are now distributed. Um, <laughs> It's interesting to think about it that way because it's like it's this progressive march of hardware and software kind of complementing each other or allowing for progress to happen. So, yeah, the the blank slate is is now the ability to store data everywhere on redundant le- databases or ledgers, and that is what banking is, right? A bank is just a very reliable source of counting digits. You know, the Federal Reserve issues the digits, they send it to the banks. And the bank's number one job is don't get hacked and lose, don't compromise that that database, right? That seems to be their primary value in the world today. Uh, I'll pause for a second. Does that, do, you, do you see things differently from that perspective? Or is there something you see technically that um, adds to that description or perspective? No, I think, I think you're spot on. And uh, at the end of the day, uh, I see a, con- a continuous move, and I see it actually. I mean, I could I could talk about it for like the continuous move for the couple of hundred years of you know U.S. history, but I could also like expand it. But but uh, you know, it is decentralization and doing uh, getting kind of all out of the old ways of doing things and figuring out the new ways. That is the kind of the founding principle of this country. So mm-hmm. we have we have done it multiple times in multiple different situations, and uh, uh, and that that's the clean slate that really I think drives building uh, on that clean state and thinking about it and advocating for it and saying no, we are not going to stick to this old ways of doing this stuff that doesn't mm-hmm. seem to be representing us uh, as much as it should be. I think it's just so. So, very much like baked into any 
any story that you could think about. And I'll, I'll dig into some of that. Uh, uh, banking is something people need, right? But the, the way that a bank is today, maybe that is not what they need. But banking as a, as a mechanism that enables you to transact and enables the economy to move forward uh, is a necessity. Uh, but parts of the redundancies or parts of these, uh, to your point, uh, the operational components that we have that are physical now, uh, with this whole technology that we have, you know, if, if, if just an abstract, think about it, like if a system that has been around for 50 years and the technology, the hardware has gone so far in the last 50 years, right? Like it has gotten like 10,000 X better. And, and we are still using that, like, uh, that old system. It means that your system hasn't adopted to the hardware, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's an obvious fact. And, and it's kind of adopting that to the hardware capability that we have is, is, is something that will just unlock a lot of value. And that's where I think about it as moving banking on blockchain. And, and, and that has already been happening. If you take, for example, a protocol um, called Compound, uh, what they are doing is simply allowing you to lend and borrow money with collateralizing your uh, crypto in the case of borrowing, uh, but also like lending to the protocol. And this protocol sitting there and you could be lending to it and somebody in another state, in another country could be borrowing from the protocol and they could be doing their stuff. And we are talking about the, you know, whatever number of lines of code in that compound protocol versus a bank with all those like, you know, operations, all those, you know, uh, stuff that needs to get it running. Uh, it, it, it is obvious that this is a better alternative to that, mm. right? And uh, of course, there are always things that, uh, you know, you go through and you kind of weed out the issues. Uh, that's part of the pr- process to make these things work better. And I don't see the regulator actually as a, as a showstopper. What I see is if the regulator finds an alternative that is viable and powerful, they'll go for it. They, at the mm-hmm. end of the day, they represent people. And if something is better for the people, uh, uh, it, they will go for it. I think that's that's also the beautiful thing about the republic structure that a regulator doesn't have their own mindset. They obviously follow uh, the mindset of, of who is elected, which is at the end of the day by people. So if there is a good alternative, I think the move is going to be even faster than before that. If even like just to kind of think about the adoption and er- earlier parts of adoption. Bankers are smart people. They understand finance. They understand what's going on out there. So if they see a, a viable alternative to rather than doing the lending the way they are doing to do this with this protocol, they'll be, th- they'll be first to kind of start doing it. So, mm-hmm. and I think that's, that's what, what kind of I try to mention that, you know, we, we are used to getting rid of old ways of doing things and moving to the new ways. And the question was, is there an alternative? Is there a new way that you could advocate for and you could talk about and you could get people on? Mm-hmm. And I think we do have it. Until last summer, summer of 2020, I, I thought it was a theoretical discussion from probably 2011 that I, I, I was kind of thinking about Bitcoin to 2015 that I felt, okay, now we have a theoretical framework that could deliver that. And summer of 2020, the moment I, I read this stuff around Uniswap, crossing Coinbase and volumes, that was the moment for me that I, I could see that basically that feature is already here. And from there, basically what we need to do is really to go educate and onboard people with simple platforms, make it so simple for people to get on and use these things and, uh, uh, and educate them, tell them, Tell them what these systems are for and how are they uh, empower them? How are they going to uh, help them? Um, so, and I think putting all those together, um, what you are saying basically in terms of like is just a natural, you know, logical progression of what happens with, uh, with our society. <laughs> and this is just the kind of uh, the same story mm. uh, that happens again and again. We are just here to, you know, execute 
and enable and mm. help it progress. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny to think about it. Like we're just the facilitators of of this technology growing on its own, um, becoming its own organism. Uh, I want to ask you a little more about Seymour. So you started this company uh, a couple years ago in 2018. What was the maybe the impetus for it? And then especially what exactly are you doing and what do you hope to do in the future? Uh, yeah, so 2018 uh, uh, was the start of the crypto winter. In fact, uh, October 2018 was when the uh, the company started and uh, i think november 2018 was the basically all times oh, not all times but the, the lowest point after the uh, after the crash so it was literally in the <laughs> dip that we started the business so and uh, the retail side was pretty burned out and uh, our focus has been to build B2B products, uh, to organize what we read from the blockchains and make them available uh, for the businesses. And we obviously uh, focused on that and uh, delivered, like got clients and um, uh, we had our gross plans um, um, in terms of the B2B until uh, I think two things happened. One was COVID, and the second thing was DeFi summer. And uh, the n- natural extension for what we have been doing uh, and seeing the you know the the retail side success, it, it was very natural to extend and build the retail product. What, what was the when you say the retail product? The retail product is what exactly from the user's perspective? What so right now we have it out there. It is a uh, app. It is now uh, available on iOS and Android version. Hopefully, will come soon. Um, uh, and uh, you could go into the app and uh, add your wallet IDs addresses in there, and th- that will enable you to track your whatever you own, your portfolio, mm-hmm. your performance, as well as the collectibles you may have in those addresses. Uh, and also like different metrics on uh, starting from price and on-chain activity to uh, staking rewards to uh, DeFi metrics that also we pull from some of the some of our clients, B2B clients and partners. Well, it's similar in a way to Clarity Money, right? The same kind of guidance to the consumer on their financial portfolio and options. So focus is crypto. So um, right, right, uh, but conceptually um, similar. Um, and uh, and in terms of like enablement, we also go further to basically right now we have integrated with DeFi, mm. uh, and what that means is we have capability to uh, exchange assets for you. We have we give you the capability to lend, to borrow, and to stake. Mm. And uh, and they're all in the app. And what we do actually in the back end of uh, these uh, operations, we try to find you uh, the better deal. Mm. So uh, and enable you like ease of access, enablement, finding better deal. And on top of that, just educating people that what um, what are the what are these wallets? How do you have assets in them? And how they, how do they benefit you? Uh, so. That product is out there now, and we we have been adding more features features to it, and uh, we want that to be your DeFi bank. Uh, basically, a different way of doing banking. Uh, it's on the blockchain, uh, but it's a very viable and possible way of doing it, and it it pays off. It you get you get um, benefits from it. You earn. Uh, if you want to lend, you earn more than your usual percentages that you would you would earn. Um, and if you want to exchange, again, you have access to uh, these new and upcoming uh, world to be able to have exposure to it. Uh, so, and that's that's the uh, platform uh, we want to have out there for people to 
really start on crypto rather than, you know, serving it DeFi, DJ. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we would love them to also use the app, yeah. obviously, but but really empowerment of people are, are at the core of our thesis. Yeah. It, fascinating. Yeah, it seems like such a great mission. Uh, I want to ask you for a second, since you're so knowledgeable about the technical components of blockchain and you've, if you've written a number of different papers on the subject, and I was going through this morning reading some of your paper or t- attempting to read and understand some of the papers you have on your website, your personal website. Um, you've done a lot technically, and you would be immediately, I'd be immediately in the deep end if, if, I, if I asked you about some of these. But are there, are there any uh, technical topics that stand out to you as being um, either very important for people to understand that you think... Um, you know, is pertinent to where we are today in crypto or something that is just generally floating to the top of your mind as to, um, uh, you know, how things are working underneath the hood? If that makes sense. That's a great question. I I get that question different ways uh, from people who want to get, like, start, you know, getting into crypto. And a form of that question I hear is, uh, how is this this backed right right uh, uh and another form is how does it help me so uh quite honestly there's a lot of in-depth uh technical understanding of these platforms that um it's really tough to know about everything and anything or even mm-hmm. like, or just a portion of it so it's very technically sophisticated uh, but if you think about now four billion people using internet how many of them know about the guts of this thing, right? Yeah. Versus just knowing how to use it and being empowered by it. So uh, I have realized over time that uh, for for addressing that, you know, that group who I want them to be empowered by, with crypto, uh, telling them more about technicals is just making it more, more, more confusing. I, I think <laughs> Steve Jobs has this like famous quote that, you know, when you're selling computers, telling people about like what's the RAM, what's the hard drive is just that's that's not the sales he liked, right? Yeah. And and you, we go buy these Macs and iPhones. Maybe we care about one number that matters to us, but nobody buys a Mac uh, like trying to figure out what's in there, right? A lot of a lot of drive is just because of the empowerment that, that yeah. the product is giving you. Yeah, Keep those guys that, like. Those, those guys are the ones who buy PCs and rip them apart and uh, put in aftermarket parts. Yeah. So uh, he understood that, right? And uh, it's it, it, it's still the case. So I, I think that applies very well into crypto as well. And a couple of things that uh, I find it very effective to talk about. Uh, one is, look, this is, in my opinion, this is backed by a strong technology. Uh, this is similar to if I told you back in 1997 or 90s, late 90s, that I would give you a, 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 an instrument, a financial instrument that gives you exposure to whatever happens with technology right, in the next 20 years. Not just an Amazon or Google stock or some company that got failed uh, uh 2001 but something that represents a whole bunch of new things that can happen potentially right the view that uh when you when you start uh getting into for example eth and ethereum you are you are getting an exposure to every possibility that can happen on this network mm-hmm. today there are like so many protocols right give it 5 years you know, it's even, I, I don't think we can even imagine like what are the list of things that can happen and so many things will come up and fail, but there will be some successful stuff. And this is the first time in the history that we have a capability to, as a retail investor with five bucks, to own part of that future. Mm. If it happens, right? And the part that we argue Will it happen or not? I'm a believer. I think it's going to happen, but I'm not even getting there. I'm saying that if you put a chance that it will, will happen, now you have a unique position that somebody in the late 90s didn't have. 
And that position is you could get into it. Mm. Yeah. Something that used to be, be so private and only a couple of big VCs would have exposure to, now you have it. Yeah. So just well, think the, about it and take advantage of it. I think a lot of people look at this. What you're what you're saying is is completely true. I think it's the challenge is like, how does the average person, or is this even is this even reasonable for the average person to look at? You know, they've heard of Bitcoin, Ethereum, maybe Dogecoin, and they look at the long list of acronyms of these uh, uh, cryptos, and they're like, well. This one shot up, you know, maybe it's good. Let's put some money in there. You would be able to go into these projects and, and pull down the source code and dive into it and, you know, technically analyze it. But for most people, that's outside of their scope. Do you, that's probably just the way it needs to be is that there are some people who dive into the technicalities and validate it for other people to then invest in the, in the projects. Um, do you get into technically analyzing other projects and, and investing at all? I mean, you have the, I'm sure the wherewithal and the capability to, from your experience, but how do you think about that for most people? Is that, is that even worth doing for the average person or just put it in Bitcoin? Um, yeah, well, uh, my experience is a lot of people know about Bitcoin, a lot of sophisticated people, right? Uh, and I, I have a comment on that as well. That, uh, you know how, how how much how much potential people have in understanding these, which I think it is super high, and I think it's underestimated. Uh, but but it is the it is the, the bottleneck is the information, right? Mm-hmm. There's so much discussion about Bitcoin, so much like it's all over the place, right? Uh, like Tesla buying, uh, uh, like you know Elon, like. Dogecoin. So the, if you think about like the the kind of the time that in media these things capture versus Ethereum and other smart contract uh, or, or platforms that have some initial good success on DeFi, I think that's the issue. I really don't think it is people trying to dig or, or not dig in the you know the details. I think it is just telling people, hey, there's something call this thing and it is cool you know uh, it, it just just that information asymmetry that ha- happens between uh, the real applica- application side of uh, DeFi versus uh, you know what has been going on um, as the m- main narrative which is changing but it's changing the slow so uh, that is the biggest pain point I find. Very sophisticated people know about Bitcoin. And if, and when I tell them about DeFi, a week later, they are like, this DeFi is so cool. Like I, They're learning about it. They see all the capabilities. They see that you could actually earn interest. And there is a mechanism. They understand that if you are earning too much interest, that's probably because you're taking too much risk. But so be it. I'm talking about a platform that works and at, at least follows the you know the uh, normal financial thinking that I have Dogecoin doesn't right, but these things do right. So and and that's where like really happens when you tell them even a little bit about it. They have the capability like they do research and they figure out what DeFi is. So and and that's on the side of the like more people who have the like you know I, I generally talk to them about the business and trying to hire them and stuff like that. But but overall, I also think uh, the retail mindset uh, has been underestimated. Mm. Uh, all these kids who are like trading on Robinhood and like doing these things when they are like eighteen years old, nineteen years old, like twenty years old, uh, I, I think they have they have some advantage that people like me didn't have. I don't know about you, but uh, if somebody loses a couple of hundred bucks when they are twenty and learns about a freaking short squeeze and things like that, that are like, you know, I learned in an MBA class. Mm-hmm. So be it, yeah. right? I mean, you pay $10,000 to learn it down the road, and uh, but but you learn it even, and, and I don't think all of them or most of them are losing it, but but uh, the idea that people, I mean, these these kids are making mistakes and this is not a good thing, I think, that is a that is the wrong way of thinking that gets also promoted a lot. I think the fact that a someone could just get into these things and probably even be burned with like Dogecoin and then ask themselves why the hell I got myself into that thing 
and versus like something else that makes sense to me. You know, it's common sense. And when you hear about applications, uh, you read two stories and you see that there's nothing, no story about like what is backing Doge's value, but then you hear like five stories backing like, you know, Ethereum's value. It becomes a, it becomes a, 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 a platform medium that enables people Mm. Uh, think about it. And I think there's a lot of that's going on and mm. something that financial system hasn't been probably the legacy one hasn't been really thinking carefully about it is all this younger generation who know a ton more mm. than, than the, than the older one, uh, uh, because of just these platforms and because of self-education. And as they hit the system, they, they, they would know and they will make the good decisions. I think um, the big, uh, the two components that we need to put out there, which our company is very much focused, is build good educational material that basically says it like it is, right? I mean, it provides information that is, fa- is based on a fact. Plus, give them a super simple and easy way to do it. Not mm-hmm. a, like a 10-step, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. thing that they need to go do to like, Give them three buttons that they push yeah. and they see that it happens. Uh, so, and, and put those t- together. Uh, a lot of people will, will have a good clarity around what is good and what is not. I don't really think digging deeper and reading about protocols and things like that. When you think about the next billion people, oh, is yeah, the way that this will go. I think it is, it is going to be about that simple education, simple onboarding. Yeah. And empowerment. Yeah. No, I only, I, I think this is a good point. I only, I only probe your mind because you, you're the, you're not the, the billion people out there who are, uh, you know, broadly scraping the surface of crypto. Um, who do you, Hussein, who do you look up to? Who do you learn from in the world? That's a great question. Uh, um, Obviously, there's a lot of, you know, great entrepreneurs in the uh, tech and fintech that each one of them have done some great work. Uh, but in terms of like where I get my product ideas and how to approach the product, uh, I, uh, my, my model is, uh, that, uh, finds, find it, uh, young 20 something year old, uh, who would uh, basically want to use that product themselves mm. and have all the ambitions and energy to uh, to build it for themselves and let them build it, enable them to build it. Mm-hmm. That is how I approach uh, clarity. I needed that thing myself and I knew what I needed and I saw like what are the pro- problems in building so. And, and I think in the, in the, and through Seymour and through like what I have really been doing for the last uh, couple of years to rely on someone who is building this for themselves. That's the most powerful and most, uh, inspirational place to look for and enabling them. So mm-hmm. I have obviously I build for myself in the crypto space as well. But, but the amazing thing about somebody who is just starting to like, you know, use financial tools is that you don't, you don't have those biases that, you know, you build up over time that, oh, some things are not just uh, meant to change, right? right. It, you, and, and that, that is an innovation stopper. I think with crypto, the, the, the strongest point of crypto was like people like Vitalik started it, right? I mean, people who just, uh, they didn't work in a bank or in a fintech for like 20 years to, to like start from uh, understanding the system, which is a, also a good place to start. But, but they had the idea that, Hey, I just want to do things differently. Let's see. Let's see, you know, that clean, clean slate side yeah. of stuff. And for that, when, when you have people, the young people who want to build it for themselves, have all the aspirations and just enable them, you get great results. That's what I really believe in. Uh, to be are there, inspired by. Are, are there specific people in particular, uh, like names of people that you have learned a lot from, whether they're younger people building, you mentioned Vitalik, the Ethereum creator. 
Um, are there other folks that you kind of, you know, whenever something dramatic happens in the market, do you kind of turn to them and just kind of check in on their, their opinions of things? I, I think there's something about designing the product. I rely on, a, a, you know, that type of fresh mindset when, when it comes to the product, right? Mm-hmm. When it comes to like how you, how you want to do things, because I don't want to hear somebody to like uh, lecture me on the limitations. I want to, mm-hmm. I want to hear someone to tell me what are the possibilities, right? <laughs> so, mm-hmm. and, and those people are really good with the possibilities because they're just that way. I mean, uh, uh, first of all, uh, they haven't really gotten like dealt with the limitations to start with. They've just only dealt with like possibilities, uh, you know, uh, being, being who they are or how they think. Um, um, so, but, but there are other places that, you know, when it comes to the uh, scaling or regulatory aspects, there are, there are some people that really have, have, you know, good leads in the, um, uh, uh, space that would, would be a better place to go mm-hmm. uh, to understand and see like how they think. And uh, some of them do it very courageously, uh, which uh, is also a source of inspiration. Mm. That's awesome. Um, and Hussein, uh, you guys are running now. You're accepting customers. Tell me if, if any of this is wrong. You're, are you hiring people? Are you looking for investors? Where Where are people, what are you looking for? If you're going to put the message out there, um, and people are listening, you know, people all across the spectrum of crypto and startups and elsewhere. Um, what are you looking for? Is there anything you want to spread? Anything you want to? Well, all of the above. Uh, mm. And uh, uh, more specifically, uh, we would love people to start using the app and try the product and uh, see all the DeFi in one place. Uh, even if you, it's your first time, try it. If if you are a DeFi degen, I mean we want we want you to do all you want, all you do in one place, and uh, come tell us if if that's not the case, uh, and we'll build it for you. Um, so um, and uh, for for me, really onboarding more people from the uh, traditional finance to DeFi is is the mission. I because I think. Uh, that's the that's the great way to uh, contribute to my yeah. big uh, you know aspiration to help leveling the financial playing field. Um, but through that, we we are always hiring and looking for talent. Mm-hmm. Um, um, hit us up if if you use the app and you think that you you could contribute or you could be a, a, a source of ideas for us um, and. Uh, um, we are always looking for talking to uh, like-minded people in the space. Awesome. Is, is it, out of out of curiosity, is the app available only in the U.S. or is it available to anyone uh, internationally to use the, all the financial capabilities of it? The app availability for download is uh, all over the place, and we mm-hmm. do have uh, four language support: English, Spanish, Portuguese, and Chinese. Um, uh, um, however, some of the DeFi capabilities mm-hmm. would have uh, limitations. Some mm-hmm. there are some uh, uh, embargoed countries uh, mm-hmm. that we can't serve. There are some states that wouldn't be friendly with some products, which mm-hmm. we follow the protocol. If the protocol is not available in a certain state, mm-hmm. we wouldn't make it available. Obviously, in the in the app. We are mostly uh, reactive in that case to understand what are the limitations and enforce them. Uh, but in, in order to get you, uh, add your address and track your portfolios, as far as it is just information that we are pulling from blockchain, that's available worldwide. Uh, mm-hmm. When it comes to transactions, we have limitations that we should follow. Gotcha. Okay, cool. And if people were trying to learn more about you, your website, your personal website, azari.io, it's re.io, and your company website, cmorq.com, Seymour, where can people reach you personally if someone just wanted to give you a shout out or, or reach out to you? Are, are you active on Twitter or 
I, I love LinkedIn. LinkedIn I've yeah. never been a, that active on Twitter. Uh, I, I actually don't get Twitter, quite honestly. <laughs> I, I, I follow and I try to like, you know, uh, learn from some of the people that, uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, are very uh, kind of knowledgeable. But besides mm-hmm. that, I, I'm, uh, I'm not that active on Twitter. So, but I, I do have a LinkedIn and, uh, um, uh, probably there's a link on my website to it, but also just my name. Mm-hmm. Um, search would would get you to me on LinkedIn, and I'm uh, I would love to hear from uh, folks who want to chat or yeah share thoughts. Awesome, awesome. Well, I really enjoyed meeting you, learning more about your background, the projects you're working on. Uh, super inspiring, and uh, yeah, really enjoyed the conversation. So look forward to having you back on sometime. Likewise, thank you very much. This was a super exciting discussion. And uh, hopefully we'll, we'll have another discussion soon. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Around the Coin. If you enjoyed the show today, consider giving us a quick review wherever you listen to podcasts, tweet about it, or text it to a friend. We really appreciate all the support and growing that we can. If you have any guests you'd like us to bring on or feedback for us, don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.